What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 87 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, we have enjoyed so much, so many of our amazing guests in the crazy year of 2020, and I just want to thank all of you who take the time to listen every week, whether you know the guest or you're going, man, I don't know them, but I sure enjoy learning from them. I got a a note on June the 30th, a review that was left on iTunes that said, this podcast fills my cup. I struggle with my life choices and consequences deeply. Listening to other people tell how God has lifted them, showed them his purpose for their life, gives me hope and even joy. I read my Bible and pray, and these podcasts are so meaningful as a part of my walk to serve others and live God's plan out for me. Thank you, Mike Lynch. Debbie. Debbie, thank you. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for listening because it without you guys listening in, it would be a waste of a lot of people's time, but it means the world that you get to sit in. I remember when we started back in 2017, the dream and what I tell guests when they come on is we're just putting a microphone in the middle of lunch while you and I are having lunch. And, and I hope that's the way it comes across because we sure enjoy being with you. Well, today I get to sit down with Coach Jamie Beckler. Jamie is the author of a brand new book called The Leadership Playbook that we're going to break apart and we're going to discuss. Jamie spent over 20 years as a college basketball coach, professor, and administrator, and has just moved from the locker room now into the boardroom and spends his life motivating folks and coaching organizations on how they can build championship teams. Jamie's the host of also another popular podcast, and you are going to enjoy his perspective on leadership, his perspective on life. Well, I want you to pull up a chair now, and I want you to listen in to my fun conversation with Coach Jamie Beckler. Well, Jamie, thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, you've had a great guest list. Uh, I enjoy listening to to your uh, interviews. So uh, uh, happy to be happy to be joining you today. Man, it's so good to have you. I love that. I, I went back and as I was reading up on you, you read "They Call Me Coach" by John Wood, <laughs> and that was a life changer. Talk to talk to me. It sort of I think it sort of set a platform for your career. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that it. I was in seventh grade and I had this teacher 
uh, Judith Shannon, and she was my arch nemesis. But, you know, regardless <laughs> of that, she introduced me to kind of to reading and or introduced me to John Wooden. She had this little library in the corner of her room. And uh, uh, one of the books, she was like, well, Jamie, you might be interested in this basketball book because I knew you play basketball. And so I read it. And I'm like, you know, what, what do I, I'm a seventh grader. Why do I need to read this about this old dude? And but I read it and I was like, man, this is so cool because he won all the time, but he also treated people right. Mm. And, and I would love to say that I was so mature back then that I was like, OK, I want to be a coach so I can treat people right. That came a little bit later. But what I what I the mentality I had as a seventh grader was I know that when I miss a shot or make a turnover, I want coach to still like me and I want him to treat me right uh, and whether I'm starting or coming off the bench, I want a coach that treats me like John Wooden did. Mm. And so as I would get older, you know, that would mature into, hey, one day maybe I can be that coach. Not just I get that treatment from a coach, but I can be that coach. And so uh, that kind of started me on, uh, you know, you know, if this pro career, if this NBA career didn't work out, then uh, maybe I would hit this coaching and, uh, you know. My the coaches I had, I, I love my coaches, but they let me know early on that uh, I'll probably be a coach. I, and I, I, I want to dwell in on that real quick. You've had, you've played cause you're an athlete. You played three sports in college. What separates? So the great coaches, John Wooden is the, he's the, he's the gold standard of coaches. He, Pat Summit, that crew, the gold standard of coaches. What separates great coaches from average coaches from terrible coaches? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things, but, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things I think I hit upon and, and you mentioned a Pat summit, you mentioned a John Wooden, it's not about them. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly when you're in that kind of a position, you have some ego. I mean, it, it's hard to go through life with no ego whatsoever, but that ego is almost just, Hey, there's confidence in who I am to then be vulnerable, to be a servant leader. And I think it takes a lot of confidence to be a servant leader. And, and I've seen Pat Summit in action, uh, coaching in Tennessee a lot. Uh, most of my uh, professional career was coaching small college basketball in Tennessee. And I saw the way that she interacted with people, whether it was her players or fans. And she's out at recruiting events. I don't know how many times I saw this. She's trying to watch recruit. She's trying to evaluate players. And she's constantly being bombarded with fans and, and not once did I see her turn people away. She was always willing to take a picture. She was always willing to autograph. She was always willing to talk to them and not like talking to them and then looking over their shoulder, watching the games. She completely understood that she's an icon, not just because she's a good coach, but because of who she is. And people want to be associated with that. And so she took time for people. John Wooden, he made connections with people. Um, you know, now you're not perfect. Neither of those coaches or any of the good coaches aren't perfect. You know, there's going to be people that don't like them or people that think that they didn't connect coach didn't connect with me or coach didn't treat me fairly. That's always going to happen. But, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote a book maybe two years ago and it called uh, my 50 year friendship with John Wooden. Mm. And uh, well, I think it was called coach Wooden and me, but uh, my 50 year friendship with John Wooden. And, you know, if you think about that a minute, you really can't be, any more polar opposite on the demographic spectrum. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is young. John Wooden is old. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a black inner city kid. John Wooden is old white dude from a small town. One's a Christian, one's a Muslim, one's tall, one's short. You can't get any farther on the spectrum. And yet here's this guy writing a book 50 years later saying, 
I still had this friendship all these years after I played for this guy. And, and you don't have that unless that coach has some kind of, you know, magic wand, I guess, with the connection. And so you ask, what, what do the greats do? The greats connect because you can't get, you can't get people from where they are to where they need to be by just telling them what to do. They have to, they have to buy what you're selling and they have to feel an emotional attachment to you that they're going to know, like, and trust you. And, and make no mistake, you know, whether you're a pastor whether you're a coach, whether you're a business person, whether you're a mother trying to get the kid to pick up the socks off the floor, you're in the sales business. You're not selling a, you know, a used car maybe, but, but you're in the sales business. You're trying to get somebody to do something that they're not going to do otherwise. Um, and so you can't do that if there's not that connection, if they don't know, like, and trust you. Boy, that's so good. So you, you play three sports in college, then you, you take on a career as a coach. How did you know, okay, this is for me. I think this season of my life is going to be in coaching. How did you, how did you know it was time to make that step? And that's the step you wanted to take. Yeah. Well, I thought, you know, being, being high school, really all I was exposed to was high school coaching and and I had some great high school coaches. And, and in fact, in, uh, in one of my books, the bus trip, the coach's name is coach Dunn. And my basketball coach in high school was coach Dunn, who, who, you know, unfortunately died of cancer at age 47. But, you know, he, I honored him in my book, but anyways, I have this coach, you know, and okay, that's what I want to do. I want to coach basketball and I want to teach history. That's what I want to do in high school. That's all I know of. And then I go to college and I get introduced to a lot more. There's a bigger world out there, I guess, than just high school. And I understand that, all right, you can coach college and you can actually go to college to learn how to coach college. And so I, I, one of the, the point guard that, that whooped me every day in practice and was just a, an amazing player. His name was Steve Fleming, but he went to Kent State to do master's degree, master's work. And I never heard of that. You know, I didn't know that that was possible. I was like four years, I'm out of this. But I realized you could go two more years, learn some more stuff. And uh, I ended up uh, following his lead and was actually fortunate to be a graduate assistant at Kent State University, uh, the men's basketball program and uh, a coach named Gary Waters. It was his first two years there. And he would end up turning that program completely around. And uh, a lot of people would hear of Kent State and they would end up having a guy named Antonio Gates uh, playing at Kent State basketball who would end up going to be a Hall of Fame tight end in in the NFL. But anyways, uh, you know, when I was in college, I learned that, you know what, I can I can do this for a living at the college level and I don't have to teach history. So I I, uh, went to get my grad assistantship and uh, got a full time coaching job. And when I say full time coaching job, after my two years of being a graduate assistant, I went and was a three year for three years. I was an assistant coach at a small college. And I made, uh, uh, in those five total years, two years of being a graduate assistant and three years of being a quote unquote full-time assistant, I made $36,000. Good. In all five five years years, combined. Five years total. Good night. But a lot of that, the sacrifice, the things I, I, I just dove feet first in, I was like, I'm all into this and it doesn't matter, you know, how we'll, we'll live on, uh, you know, uh, pork and beans and, and, you know, pasta, bulk pasta, um, whatever we'll, we'll live on that beans and rice as Dave Ramsey would say. That's right. That's right. And, uh, and that allowed me after five years to end up have a couple opportunities to be head coaches. 
And so uh, I was I was able to fulfill my dream of being a head coach at the college level uh, much earlier than I thought. I was 27. Um, was it harder or easier than you thought it would be? So you, you, you've been a player, you've been a grad assistant, you've been an assistant coach. Well, all of a sudden now you've got the clipboard. It's your squad. It's your team. Because I talk to so many people in leadership, Jamie, they ascend to the position they've always wanted and they get there and go, holy smokes, it's a lot different. I'd been around it, but I was with a group of police chiefs this morning. Well, they had all been in the the departments they'd been in and now they're the chief. They're over the whole thing. What was different about being the guy with the clipboard calling the shots than you ever dreamed it would be on the other side of that as a player or even as a grad assistant and an assistant coach? Well, I was smarter than everybody else. And I was, uh, (laughs) we had that in common. That works out well. Yeah. Which was the problem because, you know, I'm 27 years old. I'm an NCAA head coach. And, uh, I, I got that way because I did everything right. Mm. Pretty much, uh, that I earned that because I, I sacrificed financially. I worked 16 to 20 hour days, even though I wasn't making any money, I was head coach's right-hand man. I was doing everything and I learned and learned and learned. And so I was really smart and I was really, uh, prepared and I had deserved this except that I lost sight of back in seventh grade with John Wooden. Mm, um, mm. I was so, I was so bent on trying to prove that I belong that I started to focus more on those X's and O's. It was all about the X's and O's. It was all about, I'm going to prove that what I'm doing works. This should work. And if, and if these kids aren't doing it, then, then they're not, they're the ones that are screwing up when we lose it's they lost, they didn't play well. And when we win, it was, yeah, see, the stuff that I'm doing is working because I'm doing Pat Summit stuff. I'm doing Tom Izzo at Michigan state. I'm doing his stuff. I'm doing coach K's stuff. And if it's not working, it's not because of me, it's because of these kids. And it honestly, I, I mean, this is a sad part of my life, but also it was a springboard. It took me four years to realize or three and a half years to realize that I, I was kind of slowly getting away from the connection type thing. And it wasn't that I didn't care about my players. I, That's right. During that whole time, I cared about them. I just never showed it, and it wasn't the emphasis. Um, I would. Do, it was almost like, um, you know, in a church setting or a non-profit setting. Sometimes you get more worried about the programs as opposed to the people. You know, we're going to have all these programs. Um, these, this programming and you forget about the people. And that's what I was. I didn't totally forget about the people, but I didn't put them first. I was doing all these things to help out the people, but I wasn't actually helping out my players. I wasn't actually investing in their lives. And so uh, it took uh, essentially getting resigned from my job. You know, the old, uh, Hey, we're going to let you resign at the end of the year Mm. type thing. Um, And so uh, four years later, I was uh, a young up and coming coach who was fired. And wow. uh, that really uh, was a wake up call. And that said, you know what, I need to get back to why I even wanted to go into coaching in the first place. And, and after that, you know, not that it was all rainbows and butterflies after that. Right. But pretty much every place I went after that, uh, I kind of took that approach and uh, we had a lot more success. Would, well. would you be who you are today if that hadn't happened? If that, if that old Jamie had kept getting pat, you know, the pats on the back had kept coming and opportunities kept coming and nobody ever said, look, you've got to change, you know, through what happened with you. 
would you be who you are today or have the passions you have today? Probably not. And, and, you know, one of the things that happens is, is you're stubborn. Uh, I mean, we're stubborn. We, we know what should be done. And we think these players or the people around us or our quote unquote followers should be doing this or should be doing that. But the reality is we need to figure out a way to inspire them to want to do that. Mm. Uh, we shouldn't want compliant followers. I mean, we, we, that shouldn't be our goal as a coach or a CEO or a manager or a supervisor or a senior pastor of a church. We don't want people to be compliant. I mean, certainly we want people in our doors, you know, at church on Sunday morning, but we want people to actually want to be there that they actually want to open up a hymnal or they want to open up that Bible or they want to come and do extra at practice, not because we told them that. And, and so that was something that I had learned over those four years was that I was kind of trying to get compliance this whole time. You need to do this because I'm so smart or because this works. Trust me, it works. I've seen it work. Well, what's not working is me and their lives. What's not working is I'm not finding that those touch points or I'm not finding that inspiration that they need, you know? And, and so I, I saw somebody once, uh, his name is John Brubaker, uh, a good author, uh, a speaker, but I saw him at a conference once say, point to yourself. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so everybody points to themselves and almost everybody points like to their chest area, to their heart very few people actually pointed at their head. Mm. And, and his whole point of that was most people are led by emotion. Most people are inspired through the heart, not the head. And so as a coach, I was trying to inspire everybody by the head. Um, this is the way it should be. In theory, this is will work. Well, you know, in theory, it might work, but in practicality, it wasn't. Um, you know, and so I would do things like, I'm going to tell a person right before our practice, Hey, uh, you're not starting tomorrow in the game and expect them to be able to take it because that's the way I was coached that, or that's the way I was able to take things. Like I saw things from a bigger picture as a player. And so I expected players to take that same approach. And so I, I kind of uh, projected my way of how I like to be coached or projected the way that I thought the world should be onto them, um, you know, or, or coming into a, a strategy session and telling the girls or the players that, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get this person the ball tomorrow because they can't stop it not even thinking that, all right, well, there's some jealousy or some people don't trust this player or they don't like this player. And so when I do that, even though it's the absolute right thing from a strategy standpoint, I'm not taking into account a, a bigger perspective or that bigger world out there and what they're thinking. And so it doesn't mean that you don't make those decisions. It means that you might do something different in terms of how you, how you present that decision. And, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier with connection. You, we all have a bank account with emotions, so to speak. And, and, you know, if they don't know, like, and trust me, then they're not going to give me any leeway. I, I don't have much in that bank account to withdraw. Um, you know, if they know, like, and trust me, and there's a strong connection, then they might not like my decision, but they might give me a little bit more rope. They might give me a little bit more leeway. Man, that is that is gold because we're going to learn that one way or the other, right? We're either going to learn it when we lose the team, our, our, our employees or whoever's around us, or we learn it 
from those that have already hit that wall. It, but you got to learn it. I mean, that's something in pastoring. I have to learn it in the in the coaching world that I dabble in. I have to I have to know it. Work. I'll be out with a group of high school baseball players this afternoon on a you know in a bullpen, and I can say this is how to do it. Or there's a connection piece that happens. It has to happen though. How did your faith? Tell me a little bit about your faith journey and how that mixed in with all this that was going on in your life. Yeah. It, 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 in a way, you know, your, your very first reaction, you know, when your athletic director, or your boss says uh, you're fired, you're done. Um, and you know, th- you're, most of us, our very first reaction is to either lash out or to be defensive, you know, Hey, what I was doing was right. You're wrong, you know, whatever. And, and so naturally that was my first reaction for that first, you know, 12 to 16 hours, first day, whatever. Um, but I talked to a couple people because you want to be right. You know, you're just, you're, you want to, yeah, I said you defend yourself. Yeah. Um, and so I talked to a couple people and I talked to this one person, his name's Ed Schilling, and he's currently an assistant basketball coach with Indiana. But at the time he was with John Calipari at Memphis. Um, but I had known him when he was the head coach at Wright State University and he had gotten fired. And so I knew him through that process of him getting fired. And so I called him up and, uh, because I knew he had been fired. So I wanted some advice, you know, what, what should I do now? You know, and essentially I'm looking for him to pat me on the back. That's right. Great. You know, it'll all work out fine. He, you know, and in a way he said, you know, it can work out fine, but you're going to be, and this is cliche and, and he's not the first person to say it, but he said, you can be bitter or you can be better those are really the only two choices. You're going to move forward from this or you're going to move backwards and hold on to it. And he said, here, I'm going to send you a book that, that I, uh, that I got when I got fired. Someone sent this to me. I'm going to send you a book. And, uh, for the life of me, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a book about, uh, it was something called, uh, they meant it for good or they meant it for harm. Wow. And God meant it for good, something like that. But it was about Joseph. Mm. And the whole story was about Joseph and all the, kind of junky things that happened to him, even though he was faithful, but, but, um, and, and Ed said, Ed Schilling was like, you know, sometimes we, we create our own rainstorms. Sometimes we create our own messes. And so, you know, I don't send you this book just because Joseph never did anything bad and all this stuff happened to him necessarily, but just the bigger picture of sometimes bad things are going to happen. That's right. Sometimes it's in our control. Sometimes it's not. But what absolutely is in our what is in our control is how we react and move forward and move on from that. And he said, "Read this book." And I read this book, and it was like you know, just really spoke to me that you know, there's something out there. There's there's got to be. I can't be number one. I can't be uh, tied down to this identity of I'm a basketball coach, and if I got fired, I'm no longer a good basketball coach which means I'm no longer a good person and I don't have identity. Um, And through this, you know, reading that book was just, you know, Hey, I need to do what's right all the time. No matter if someone's out to get me, if I disagree with a decision, if it's not fair, you know, and that was one of the things I was like, you know, I got fired by the vice president who approved of me kicking off three starters for disciplinary and then fired me for not winning. And it's like, well, that's awfully difficult, you know, to, it's awfully difficult to, to get rid of starting players for disciplinary action. You, you agree with me on that decision. And then you turn around and fire me for losing, 
which we wouldn't have lost if we still had those starters. And so that's something that's, that's kicking around. It's like, man, I'm holding on to this, holding on to this. And this book really showed me, you know what? It, I don't need to hold on to it because it doesn't do me any good. Um, you know, and I didn't know it at the time, you know, the, the forgiveness type stuff or just holding a grudge, but, uh, uh, Jason Romano, who hosts the Sports yep. Spectrum podcast, great podcast, but he wrote a book called Live to Forgive. And, you know, when we don't forgive people or if we hold on to grudges, I mean, that's essentially, you know, picking up a hot coal to throw at somebody. You know, we might throw yep. it, but it's going to burn our hand too. And oftentimes the other person doesn't even know our feelings, you know, and we're just, we're just, it's eating away at us and it's really only hurting us. And so, that book and some of these experiences taught me, you know what, I need to move on and I need to get better from this kind of stuff. Does it, does your faith make you a better leader? Do you feel like you're able to now, you know, where your faith at is in the day you're in, you're not in full-time coaching. Now you are coaching coaches now right. in so many regards. Do you feel like your faith makes a better leader? What would you say to that? Yeah. Without, without question. And, and there's a couple I think a couple reasons. Number one, just from a uh, uh, probably the the most minimal reason is you see a great example. You know the faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Pat Williams, uh, you know the founder of the Orlando Magic, a longtime vice president of the Orlando Magic, wrote a book, uh, "Lead Like." Uh, I think it was "Lead Like Jesus," um, uh, but he also wrote another book called "Paradox of Power." And in the book "Paradox of Power," he talks about how. Jesus was one of the greatest leaders ever, you know, arguably the best leader ever. Um, but, 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 uh, he was this great leader, but it was almost paradoxical because he was being a servant. He was giving of himself. It wasn't about glorifying him, even though ultimately, yes, it's to glorify Christ and glorify God and everything we do, but it was about others. And it was about, I'm going to be a servant and, and transform lives, not just show that, that, I'm God's son and I'm a big deal and you should, you know, bow down and worship me. And so that paradox of power, uh, I read that around that same time too. And so that really spoke to me as well. And so to go to that question, I think Jesus gives us a great example of how to be a leader, how to be a servant leader, how to put uh, uh, people's needs and, and be concerned about others. Um, but also you, if you don't have that faith, I don't know how you go through the dry spells. And, and we're going to have so many dry spells in life. Even if we, even if we seemingly make all the right choices, other people or circumstances or life will create some dry spells, will create some adversity in our lives. Um, I can do everything right. I can be quote unquote living right. And I might get in an accident. I might have somebody close to me die. I might have something happen that was beyond my control. You know, we all know the story of Job you know, seemingly he was living right, but these things were going on around him that weren't good. Um, so it gives us strength that, that I think if you don't have faith, if, you, if you're not a Christian, it's going to be tough to go through those dry spells um, without that, because it's tough enough as a Christian, it's tough enough when you have faith, but uh, I, I just don't know how you go through that stuff. And so, yeah, as a coach, you need that as uh, you know, I'm not a, a technically a coach of any organized sport anymore but I'm running a small business. I'm having to, you know, where's our money going to come from each month? Uh, what kind of, uh, you know, just writing a book. Okay. I can't figure out 
what the next chapter is going to be about or preparing a speech or just, just staying, staying uh, grounded and leveled um, and, and all that kind of stuff. I think that that requires a strong faith because you don't want to be like a kite or a tumbleweed, you know, whichever way the wind blows, that's which way you're going. You need some kind of rock to stand on. And, and I think you need that faith. So you leave this life of coaching. Um, you, you, you read the book, <laughs> seventh grade, whoever dreams you get into coaching now in a lot of ways, you continued coaching. You now coach leaders, you go in and work with athletic teams, you work with high performing business teams, educational institutions. You have a phenomenal podcast. We have links to all that on our, on our show note, in our show notes. How did you know it was time to leave the court for a new, for a new endeavor, which you're still, you're still having to work at and learn at. How did you know it was time? Yeah, well, th- there was actually one small step in between that. And I, uh, I thought I wanted to be an AD. Uh, you know, I wanted to be a coach for a long time. But as I was into coaching, I was like, okay, I think I can do more. I, I think I maybe I can offer more. Plus, you know, the coaching lifestyle is pretty stressful on a family. And I just, we just had a, our, our, our child. I'm like, you know what, maybe I can be home more if I'm an athletic director. Maybe it's not as stressful. <laughs> so I have the, I'm not necessarily wanting to get out of coaching quite yet, but this opportunity comes to be an AD. It's a great opportunity, um, essentially double my pay, uh, a great opportunity. So, so I go and take that opportunity and I do that for two years. And during that time, I realized, you know what, the one thing I really didn't think of was I do not want to be in office all day long. That's right. Yep. And I don't want to have to worry that the blue Gatorade is out and somebody's mad because they don't like red Gatorade at the concession stand. Like I, I those are some things I really didn't think about, yep. but the main thing was I didn't want to be in an office all day and uh, like an administrator. Right. And so, um, you know, at that time I'm, I'm, uh, I'm about a year and a half into it. And uh, I'm like, okay, I I might stay at this job, but I've got, I know I'm going to need a parachute or I know I'm going to need to look to pivot, I guess I should say at some point in the next few years. I don't know when that'll be. And so at that time, uh, uh, a few years earlier, I'd been approached by the John Maxwell people at the John Maxwell uh, team to join the, or with the John Maxwell organization to join this new team that they were putting together of certified coaches. And, uh, at the time I was like, no, I don't, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. And they're like, well, you're never going to have the time and you're never going to have enough money uh, for anything you want to do. I'm like, okay, yeah, I I hear you. Well, fast forward about five years later, I'm an AD. I have the money. I have the time. I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's do this because this might help in that pivot one day. I don't know when that pivot will be. And so I got certified. I got taught by John Maxwell and his staff. And uh, that was a great experience. And then at the end of that second year, my wife and I had a talk and we were like, you know what, let's just do it. Let's just jump all in. Let's just be a full-time speaker, author, podcaster, leadership consultant. Let's just jump into this. And we decided to do that. And uh, it was, uh, you know, because it was one of those things where she was like, Jamie, you seem to be miserable. Now, I I didn't think I was miserable, but she was like, you just seem to, you know, you're putting in all these hours and you know, we have all, we have money, but you can't use it because you're always, you know, at a ninth grade swim meet or, you know, you're stuck in the concession stand or whatever. She's like, let's just do something that really you're passionate about. And so we jumped full, full on and uh, we jumped into this. Uh, we, we gave, uh, we resigned from the job and uh, jumped into it. And it's been great. It's been three, 
three and a half, four years that we've been doing this. And the first couple of years was like being a GA again, back at Kent State University as a grad assistant, because, because it's one thing to speak. It's one thing to know how to speak. It's another thing to make money off of it. It's another thing to run your own business. And that was something I wasn't quite prepared for. And so I was like a GA the first couple of years learning stuff. Well, what I love about it is this, is that all the experiences and all the time now you get to, you get to pivot and you get to send them right back to the people that are in it, whether they're in coaching or they're in business, you're learning alongside them and you're able to use what God's teaching you to hopefully keep them out of a ditch or to help them get where they need to go. Your blog, you've, you've written so many outstanding things through the years. Thanks. One of the, one of the things you wrote, and I wanted to get your take on it, mentally strong players don't keep repeating the same mistakes. They accept responsibility and they learn from them. Can any player, and when we say any employee for companies, can they learn to be mentally strong? Or is that something you either are or you aren't? What have you found? <laughs> I still go through this every, pretty much every single day because mental toughness and, and not to get into like uh, science type stuff. I won't get into that. I, I'm very basic on my, on my education, but essentially mental toughness is just having the discipline to do what you're supposed to do and just telling your body or telling yourself that you're going to do this. Um, that's, that's at the core of it. Um, I don't want to get too deep into that stuff, but you know, every day I'm struggling to, all right, I, I get to choose when I wake up. I get to choose how much work I do. I get to choose if I'm going to take, try to sell and be a, 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 you know, get speaking gigs this day. I get to choose if I'm going to write for my next book on this day. Every single day I get to choose stuff. Um, and so there's always a constant battle in my head going on. It's almost like, you know, the, 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 you know, the old cartoons of you have an angel and a demon on one yeah. shoulder and I'm constantly going back and forth. And that's just, to me, that's just mental toughness of, am I going to be mentally tough today to do what I'm supposed to do? Am I going to make my bed in the morning, even though I don't have to, and nobody's going to see it? Do I need to make these calls? Do I need to send these emails? Do I need to do these kind of things? And, and so every day, so that's a roundabout, I'm getting back to your the question, answering the question, but I do think that our experiences shape us. I think our background shapes us, but I think every day shapes us. And every day we get some little wins. We can win the day. We can win today. We can win today, or we can even win this moment, win this moment. And before you know it, you've won the day. And I think you, you develop those habits. And so when I say mentally tough players essentially don't repeat the same mistakes, it's that they've learned from stuff, but also they, they understand that what they want most is more important than what they want right now. Um, and so they kind of see that stuff. And so if I'm, if I'm constantly repeating the same mistake over and over again, so let's say, I mean, my, my whole day as an entrepreneur, um, my whole day today is up to me what I do. I do not have a speaking gig on this day. So I don't have to be anywhere um, other than to pick up my kid at school. So I have the choice every minute of today, what I'm going to do in that day. 
And so if, if I keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again each day in terms of, all right, if I'm going to choose to watch Netflix today, or if I'm going to choose to just sit on the beach, if I lived on the beach, I don't, I live in Ohio. <laughs> you, live, you live a long ways from the beach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but if I lived on the beach, that would be another set of challenges that I have to, you know, am I That's going right. to, and then I could rationalize it and say, well, yeah, I'm going to sit out on the beach, but I'm also going to have my laptop next to me. Yeah. Well, if there's a glare from the sun may, or my laptop overheats, maybe I can't get as much work done. And so I'm making that choice of, all right, if I've got eight hours today, maybe only five of it's going to be quality because I, I can't practically have a laptop with me at the beach. And so all that to say, we're making choices every single day, which is the name of my podcast, Success is a Choice we're making choices every day that determine our habits, that build habits, good or bad. And so, yeah, going back to that mental toughness thing, I think it's learned. Yeah. Um, my, my players would make fun of me, or at least at one school, they made fun of me because I told them, I guess, in passing one day or something, I told them a story of when I would take showers in high school, I would turn the water on as cold as possible to see how long I could stay in the shower. Um, you know, kind of that Navy SEAL yeah. mentality of, I was just pushing myself. I would go into Lake Michigan and try to see how long I could stay in Lake Michigan when it was cold. Not like the polar bear club, not when it was frozen, but just Lake Michigan tends to be colder even in the summer. And so I would try to always push myself. Um, one thing I did going into my senior year of high school, I said, all right, I think I can be a better athlete if I cut out pop or soda. Mm -hmm. If I get rid of carbonation because something, 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 you know, it takes the oxygen away from you or you have less oxygen. I don't know if that's true, but soda's not good for you. So I was like, I'm going to go the whole year. And then after that year was done, I was like, wow, I can't stop now. I went four years in college without a single soda, wow, uh, without any carbonation whatsoever. Um, and so, uh, you know, five years without carbonation. Uh, and it just got to be, I want to prove to myself that I can be mentally strong. So for me, it was training myself and every day I would win was that much more important that I didn't lose the next day and uh, have a setback. Well, that, that, and you're on to something really big there. I tell high school athletes this all the time. One of the difference between high school athletes and professional athletes is their ability to bounce back, which is mental toughness. You know, the, the, the high school athlete hopes to bounce back between games the professional athletes bounce back between plays. Right. I mean, they, they go, okay, it was a mistake. I made it and I move on. And that mental toughness plays into that and it doesn't go away. That's 45 years old, trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband, trying to be good at work. And the, it is something that's always going to be part of your life. You mentioned, you mentioned your podcast. You have had some amazing guests on your podcast What's been a takeaway? So you're, you're like me. We, we a lot of our podcasts we're asking people questions. What's been something that you've learned from somebody in one of your podcasts that you're like, man, I didn't expect to hear that, but it really helped me in my own leadership journey. Anything stood out from your time in your podcast? Well, one thing that I heard was from a lady named Betsy Butterick. And Betsy is a, uh, she works with sports teams, but her primary focus is on communication. And uh, having been a communication major myself in college, that was interesting to me. Now, just because I was a communication major doesn't mean I'm a good communicator. <laughs> um, 
it was one of the easier majors. And so I majored, I majored in, in communication too. So it's, I understand. Uh, awesome. No math <laughs> yeah. classes. That's right. <laughs> you say that in college and this is a tangent, but you say that in college, I was majoring in communication, which was easy. We essentially just sat around in a circle and shared our feelings. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but we, we only had to take one math or science class our whole four years, one yep. or one or the other. And uh, my senior year, I've, I was struggling and I found this great class. It was called physical science for the elementary teacher. <laughs> and we had three grades in that class attendance. We had to do a 10 minute presentation to a class. So like show them how to make a volcano. And the third part of the grade was go to a science museum. That's fantastic. The greatest class ever in the history. That and is so, fantastic. So I would have been in years, your class, my friend. Yes. All of us athletes, when we discovered that, it was like, I mean, it was like discovering the meaning of life. It was like, we can, we can, yeah, easy A. That but, is so good. But yeah, uh, Betsy Butterick, one of the things she said was, uh, uh, oftentimes when we talk to people in conversation, uh, we come around or everything comes back around to us. And that's not the way to build trust. That's not the way to build connection. And, uh, uh, you know, in the book, and I'll get back to Betsy in a minute, in the book, uh, an old book by uh, Carnegie, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he talks about how people, and more people have talked about this too than just him, but that if you're in a conversation with someone just in general, in, in a social setting, you might not say anything about yourself, but if you talk about the other person the whole time, they're going to come away thinking that you're very interesting. Mm. Even though you didn't say anything interesting about yourself, you just let the other person talk about the thing that's most interesting to that person, which is themselves. So coming back to Betsy, one of the things she said is, is uh, uh, more of you and less of me. And, and I know we talk about you know, we can talk about that all the time, you know, and, and servant leadership, that kind of stuff, but talk, everything should be directed at the other person or with the other person. And so for instance, we're, you and I are in a conversation in a social setting and you say, well, I'm going this summer or this fall, or I'm taking this trip to uh, Paris. I've never been to Paris, but nope. okay. We've been Paris. I might then say, oh, that's great. Well, when I went to Paris, I went here and man, we had the greatest time and automatically it becomes about me. I kind of hijacked that conversation. And she talked a little bit about, you know, if, if someone says they're going to Paris, ask them where they're going to go in Paris. And if they say something that you've been to, don't automatically jump in and say, oh, I've been there. That's great ask more questions. Well, why, you know, what makes that so great? What did you hear about that? Keep constantly talking to the other person or asking them questions because you want it to be about them. Um, because most of the time, you know, we learn more about another person by asking questions or we learn more with them talking. We already know the stuff we're going to say. Um, you know, when we talk, we're just saying things, repeating things we already know when we're listening, we're actually learning new stuff. And so, so from two ways, one is listen to people more to find out more stuff, to learn more stuff. But secondly, they're going to think you're interesting and you're going to make more of a connection than you just dominating the conversation. And, and we can even go deeper into that, you know, with, with all the politics and all the, the stuff that goes on on social media. Sometimes it's just, we're not ever taking a minute 
to find out, all right, well, what does, why does Mike think the way Mike thinks? Automatically, it's, I hear what Mike thinks or his opinion and automatically, boom, name calling or boom, you're wrong. And so two things. One, I don't get any smarter. I don't understand. I, I don't get any smarter because I don't learn anything that Mike knows. But secondly, there's no chance I'm going to convert Mike. There's no chance, you know, and I, you know, it's like Christianity. If I just tell someone they're wrong, they're a sinner, they're going to hell, you know, and I keep hitting that, I keep hitting that, I keep hitting that and I'm doing it in a, in a gruff way, or there's no relationship or there's no connection or there's no reason uh, that, that they're going to listen to us, then I'm not going to be able to convert somebody. And, uh, or, I mean, I technically we don't convert. I know that, right. Oh yeah. But we're never going to make any headway. And that's the same way in our social life in our connections in our friendships. If I'm not listening to somebody, if we're not making that connection, if they're not, you know, if I'm not putting them up there as important, then why are they going to listen to me when it's my turn to talk essentially? You know, you've, you've become such a thought leader through your, through your blog, through Twitter, and we'll have links, of course, to all of this. You got phenomenal books out, you got a brand new book out, you're speaking, you're traveling, you're doing all that you're doing. What's a part of leadership you're still growing in? What's a part that you're going, you know what, I'm still a work in progress here, but, but I'm trying, I'm being mentally tough and I'm trying, I'm trying to get there. What would that be for you? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> I know that's such a cop-out answer. <laughs> but I understand. I mean, my wife would say all of it. Um, you know, that the funny thing is, you know, you 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 try to help others along the way. And you know, you you mentioned the podcast, the blogs, uh, and, and it's kind of humorous, but I'll say things that I really believe and that may, you know, some of the stuff I've said today in this podcast and my wife will listen to this podcast and she'll call me on it. She'll be like, now you're probably not doing as well as you should be doing in that though. Or you could probably improve in this area. Or you said that I heard you say this, or I saw you write this. I got this email, you know, I'm on your email list and I got this email from you that said this. And, uh, well, you haven't made the bed the last two days Mm. and you said we need to make the bed. So, you know, it's just that consistency. And I think we all, I don't think it's necessarily hypocritical though. Some of us are hypocritical at times, but I think it's a consistency of living out those things that are most important to us. And, you know, I have the curse or the luxury of having, of saying things or writing things that people will read or listen to. And I really have to live up to those once I say that, um, you know, whether it's in my own household or when I'm out there, you know, if I speak, if I speak at a convention, I'm more aware for the next day or two that I'm at that convention interacting with people of what I said, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to say, all right, you got to talk nicely about people or you've got to That's do right. this. And then I'm bad mouthing people. Or I say, you know, when, when I'll talk about, you know, we got to listen more, we've got to make it more about other people. And then I find myself dominating a conversation. It's like, Oh man, you are, you, you really should go back and listen to your own stuff. So when I put that stuff out there, honestly, it's more for me than it is for others. And that might sound selfish, but like, I'm not making up stuff when I write it or say it, like I'm not making up stuff just so it sounds good. All the stuff that I'm saying is stuff that I need to hear. It's stuff that's important to me. And there'll be times where I'll be like, man, I should really write a blog about this topic. And it's like, yeah, it's important, but it's not important to me right now. And so I'm not the ex- like, I need to write stuff 
that speaks to my life to help me and maybe it'll help somebody else. And that might sound a little selfish, but I'm not just making up things for what people might want to hear. It's stuff that I'm going through essentially. Well, what's so good about that, Jamie, is if we wait till we get it all figured out, nobody will write anything because <laughs> nobody's figured it all out. And every, I think, I think the great thing for other leaders when they hear this is to go, man, good. I can wipe my brow. We're all a work in progress. Nobody's made it. Nobody's arrived. We're all, we're all literally trying to figure this thing out. And that's yeah, what and, I love about that answer. And just because we're works in progress though, doesn't give us a, a free pass. You know, it doesn't give us the hall pass of, well, you know, I'm going to mess up every once in a while. So that's okay. Well, that might be the reality, but that doesn't mean that I'm okay with always messing up. And it's like what you talk about the mental, you know, you mentioned it earlier, mentally tough people don't keep on repeating the same mistakes. I want to continue to improve. I want to continue to grow and develop and get better. And so, you know, maybe it takes me, maybe it takes my wife three times to tell me to pick up my socks before I do it. Well, my goal is maybe to only have her say it twice or say it once, or I pick it up quicker after that third time than last time, or, you know, just how can you win? How can, you know, I'm a competitor, you know, athletes, how can I win? How can I be more competitive with these things, which sounds weird, but how can I be, you know, I, I get frustrated or we might get frustrated at getting stopped by a red light. Well, how quickly do I snap out of that frustration? Mm. Maybe it takes me till the next light to do it. Well, maybe the next time it takes me halfway or, or before that light turns green, I've snapped out of it. I realize, um, you know, so it's always trying to make yourself better and, and make yourself better even quicker if you can. Thank you, Coach Beckler, for that time. Man, I love hearing leaders talk about leadership. And his new book, Leadership Playbook, is so good. And there's just something about people that are living it, walking it, breathing it, whether they're in the boardroom or they're on the basketball court. Leadership is leadership. And he did such a phenomenal job breaking apart not only his story, but leadership. And I hope you'll go out and pick up his new book. It is a it is a great, great read. And I know I am sure better for our conversation. When our next episode, we continue the coaching theme. And with football kicking off here in the South, I know high school football is up and going. Hopefully it stays that way. College football is hopefully coming up here in the next few weeks in professional football. We sit down with a legendary coach I know here in the state of Georgia. And his name is Mark Richt. Coach Richt manned the Georgia sidelines for many years, led them to incredible places both on the field and probably in the grand scheme of eternity, even more importantly, off the field. We'll talk about his story of finding faith while at Florida State University and talk about his time there, his time uh, at the University of Georgia, his time with the University of Miami, and now with the ACC Network. But most importantly, we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. We're going to talk a lot about his relationship with his Savior, which is what so many know him for. It is going to be a good one. If you enjoyed the episode today, I hope you'll pause. You'll go to iTunes like the uh, person did earlier. Leave a review for us. And man, it means the world to help others find their way to us. 
Well, my challenge for you today is go out, live out your faith in the space and the place that God has put you. And I pray you have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 